Good day. You're tuned into Free City Radio. Uh, thanks for being with us. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph in Montreal. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, this is the 45th edition of Free City Radio, and uh, it is the 8th of June. Um, on the episode this week, um, I had the opportunity to speak with art curator, writer, um, and social activist Hera Chan. Um, we talked about the Tiananmen Square anniversary and how the lack of protest or lack of remembrance reflects uh, the growing uh, systemic repression in Hong Kong. Uh, we talked about the um, protests that have taken place over the last years and the national security law in Hong Kong and how that has restricted uh, both social movements but also the practices of artists um, working to uh, remember struggles for uh, democracy, uh, struggles for um, greater freedom. Um, you know, and I think it's important to note that this conversation is really looking at the struggles in Hong Kong from an internationalist lens, looking at them not in isolation, um, and not with any sort of, um, I don't know, uh, basically sort of um, illusions about the role of the West in the world, uh, you know, the G7 um, in systemic injustice, but also trying to be honest about the ways that the national security law in Hong Kong has been um, a mechanism of repression and being... Um, open about that and talking about the ways it has impacted uh, artists and social activists on this week of remembrance for the Tiananmen Square massacre. Um, Hera was very generous to speak with me. She's in Amsterdam right now. And um, here's our conversation. I'm joined by Hera Chan, uh, who is an art curator, a writer, friend, uh, who has been participating and uh, actually um, observing and also communicating a lot of um, details, important details about the protest movements that have taken place in Hong Kong over recent years. And uh, last week was of course the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. There's been um, a ban on gatherings uh, to remember uh, that very important day. Um, and that includes now Hong Kong with the national security law implementation. Um, it's not the first year the gatherings have been banned, but there's been um, ways that people have been creatively expressing um, their remembrance of Tiananmen Square and also protesting this national security law. Um, so I'm really excited to get the opportunity to speak with Hera about this. Um, first of all, just say hi. Hi, hi Stefan, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time. Um, so last week um, we talked, or actually a few days ago, we, we got a chance to speak and you had mentioned to me a bunch of different tactics or like a bunch of different um, ways that people had um, protested or, 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 or not exactly protested, but found ways to commemorate Tiananmen Square. Um, can you explain first of all, or share your thoughts about why this anniversary is so important for people in Hong Kong, first of all, from your observations, um, and then also just some of the ways that people marked the anniversary? You know, I think many of us think of Hong Kong almost as the first Chinatown. You know, it's a city that's constituted itself of refugees and 
people seeking to escape from the Cultural Revolution and the devastation of um, the Maoist era uh, in Hong Kong, you know, which had kind of some periods of liberalism, which was staunchly ended at um, on the Tiananmen Square massacre date of June 4th, 1989. Um, so in that case, for I think many decades, you know, Hong Kong was the place that people looked to that was still a bastion of freedom. It was an aspiration. It's a place where you could say what you wanted and do and organize yourself. Um, and so in that sense, for many years and every year, uh, the vigil has been held in Victoria Park, which was also the starting place of the, the mass marches um, that would happen in 2019. Until later on, they were dispersed because the, the government started shutting down the subway station and forcing people uh, to, well, gather and, you know, and protest all over the city. In that sense, in 2017, the first time I actually attended a Tiananmen Square vigil in Hong Kong, um, there were just hundreds of, I don't know, maybe thousands of candles being lit, their speeches. I found it very jarring when I first left the subway station to attend the vigil because there was all of these different groups that are kind of all lobbying the same thing, shouting, um, not in unison, but almost against each other, advocating for specific causes. Wow. And so when I joined the vigil, I found that actually it's, it's a lot of, it tends to be a lot of older people, um, a generation like my parents and those before that felt that the fight for democracy was for everybody, not just for Hong Kong's sake, but for all Chinese people and also beyond that. And I think that after the passing of the national security law, that actually the meaning of the vigil for Hong Kongers has also changed mm. in that it has meaning now for younger people as well. Hmm. you know, to, to understand what it is like that that is also your history and that anything can be taken away from you any day. So in the, in this sense, yeah, I, sorry. That's great uh, to understand that intergenerational link. Um, why is that important, drawing a parallel between the events of Tiananmen Square and the national security law and and how do you think people are making a link? I mean, obviously the event is different, but there is a connection. Um... You know, the first uh, uh, public goddess of democracy statue um, in relationship to it being a statue that symbolizes democracy uh, for Chinese people was actually erected in Chinatown in San Francisco um, a year or two after the, the massacre had happened. Wow. Um, I think Hong Kong for a long time, you know, has has this understanding of itself as a place that's always disappearing. You know, um, Akbar wow. Abbas, the scholar, actually wrote this book about Hong Kong and the culture of disappearance. Some people think that he's overquoted and that this is not the paradigm that's Hong Kong, that in fact, Hong Kong is growing all the time because of influx of population, because um, they literally build and terraform land all over its shores. But it is, I think, more of a state of mind that people mm. um, have always felt the sense mm. that your history can be erased. And this, I think, is a relationship with the trauma of the Cultural Revolution, of a Cultural Revolution whose purpose is actually to erase culture, to erase history. And this, mm. all of this is happening again now in Hong Kong. It's like Cultural Revolution 2.0, you can say, because this, there's no massacre in Hong Kong, but a kind of brutal, bureaucratic version of that from the excavation of public funding for the arts that's beginning now to the changing of the textbooks, you know, to kind of the erasure of specific historical periods. 
um, to the kind of imprisonment and mass imprisonment of democracy fighters, as particularly those who were more publicly well known. Um, so I think in this sense that Tiananmen Square as a student movement, as a movement that ended up symbolizing this kind of last end of the culture, like the tail end of the cultural revolution is very important, I think, for people to remember um, that like one life loss is like one too many. When, when you connect Tiananmen to the cultural revolution or the end of that political process, can you, can you uh, share a bit more about that? I think in the in the 1980s is like what people would describe as the post-socialist era in China. Some people also describe it as post-Maoist, but I guess if we are to take the route of calling it post-socialism, um, which is a very complicated term that can be described in many different angles, but I think one of them would be this kind of sense of an, a, a liberalization of the society, like an opening it up. Okay. You know, this idea, this is also the time when people heard about the internet for the first time and imagined that it would be built in their neighborhoods. This is the first time when people first started actually having leisure time because uh, you were able to kind of take time off work or something like that. So kind of time of imagination. So actually leading up to the Tiananmen Square Massacre, you also see like conversations about these things happening in universities. You see actually mm. what are, what were later called political dissidents actually talking about structure society differently at the university wow. level wow. we're touring and this all ends abruptly with the with the Tiananmen Square massacre wow 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 so it really was like a a, a very seismic political event um so in relation to an uh, another event that seems to be having um massive seismic implications on a cultural and political level for Hong Kong is the national security laws and um, people have been making links to what happened in Tiananmen. And we talked about this, um, not, we haven't yet in this conversation, but in another one, um, I'm happy to be sharing this conversation um, here on Free City Radio uh, with Hera Chan. But one of the things we talked about and you were sharing with me, and I really appreciated that, were the different ways and tactics that people found avenues to express remembrance for Tiananmen, but also, um, you know, in just inherently, those were um, actions that took um, issue and protested the national security law. So could you, could you talk about, I mean, you talked about the light switches and maybe if you could explain that for people maybe who weren't, weren't following it in detail and also, um, blank sheets of paper which i found very moving this idea of like the sense of absence as being a protest uh the the day after the national security law, there's this photo that was circulating on the internet um and i believe it was inspired from an action actually that took place in the past in the soviet union which i can't place at this moment but a woman had taken to the street and just held up a blank sheet of paper mm. Um, because all of these forms of these slogans and these things that we would all be sharing throughout the year were suddenly illegal, you know, wow. and, and looking at that sheet of paper, everyone knew exactly what it would have said. And there started to be other forms of this, like after the national security law had passed, where people would just put, for example, four black squares, space, four black squares, which would be um, kind of 
revolution of our times, you know, liberate Hong Kong. It was like the main slogan that was also being chanted, which was uh, illegal. And there were endless kind of forms of this. Um, one of them, which I thought was really funny, um, was after the kind of raiding of Apple Daily, um, the pro-democracy newspaper in Hong Kong, which was like this massive raid, which has now resulted also in, in many, many arrests and imprisonment of its CEO. Uh, Jimmy Lai was that the the day after um, I was in Hong Kong and what I should not say the day after the same day um, we saw the raid happen and then hours later uh, Apple Daily went on live stream and they're live streaming the remaining editors in the office making the newspaper it was I I watched it for over an hour for some reason, uh, it's it's very mundane, but somehow it felt mm -hmm. very calming to know that people were continuing to make the newspaper. Hmm. And they even live streamed the printing of the papers themselves. Wow, and yeah, I did see a video of that. Yeah, the, in, the, in the actual, like the newspaper machine or printing yes. press, printing press, yeah. Because wow. the printing press is actually located, I believe in the same building, which okay. is not that common nowadays. And um, and so usually they're, they're an online subscription, but they're also in print. But that day, I think, I don't, I, I, they, they ran a much larger print run, like over double than what they normally would have done. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of the night, they went to deliver the papers and people were already lined up past midnight, just waiting for the paper to be delivered to buy it. They wow. ran another print run of a few hundred thousand copies. It again sells out before 8 a.m. in the morning. So I went to the coffee shop close to my house. Uh, they have coffee. They had copies um, to see what was in it uh, and to look at it. And in the following days too, there was people started to buy advertising in it to support the newspaper. So you would have the sweetest ads. You would have a dog grooming shop that would say, you know, like walk with us with little paw prints. Um, you had mm -hmm. these kinds of advertising that was supporting the newspaper in the name of democracy as a way to also kind of occupy space for me it's a little bit like that too it is like holding a protest banner by buying an ad um and even to kind of very very much more straightforward ones which was i think the the university student association of the hong kong university had a full page front page ad that basically proclaimed that you know we will die for our freedom wow and and then it became this pro this this kind of act of resistance where people would read the newspaper in front of police officers patrolling the streets so you have these great photos of just people like, you know, sitting in in an eye line of a police officer, just like reading the newspaper very wow. publicly wow. to go just show them that they're still reading it. Wow. Um, and I think after in for this year's Tiananmen Square um, vigil, I, I ended up holding my own vigil just by myself because right right now I'm in, in Amsterdam. Um, but I was looking at all the things that people are doing in Hong Kong and one of uh, an artist who I admire greatly called Bak Sun Chun um, has been a long time kind of contributor to Ming Pao, which is a, a local newspaper there and these Sunday pages where they would allow artists to kind of do stuff and just, you know, him and artists like Lu Ching and there've been incredible contributions there um, over many, many years. Mm. And he, you know, had also done, uh, had, post a lot on Facebook. It's something that I find a lot of Hong Kong artists are very prolific about is actually sharing their thoughts there. And he had just drawn, written the kind of numbers six and four on the light switches. Um, and this is the 32nd anniversary of the Tiananmen Square Massacre. And just 
he had written also accompanying note that if if I can kind of summarize it and probably lose some of its poetry, but it just means that every time you flick a switch, um, you turn on a light and you will remember. Um, so he had these light switches with these numbers on them. And also you started seeing all over the city, people just written like six, four, like in random places, like anywhere. And, and I found that throughout the protests in Hong Kong, even during the protests before the national security law, there are all of these clues that were left all over the city by people constantly to tell each other, and remind each other that they're not alone and that actually it's a mass movement. What, in a way, it seems that the dispersal is taking a different form because you mentioned the square where people gathered for Tiananmen commemorations and how uh, in the face of police repression in the years leading up to the national security law, people then adopted different protest tactics. So to move within the city and to sort of use social media, local social media networks and communication devices to be able to organize autonomously in different regions of Hong Kong to protest. So it was like one form of dispersal in relation to sort of this, the, the power of the state repression closing in. And this seems like another chapter in that sort of dispersal of protest in a way. I saw too, like a lot of people just kind of um, in their neighborhoods are walk are walking, not not standing still and holding vigil, but walking with candle lights um, throughout the city, um, wow. sharing it on social media and so on. Um, I think that it is it is another kind of chapter of this dispersal, but I think that it's also it is a part of the be water phenomenon or ethos, which is that you be flexible and that you find ways to resist. Um, and I saw also friends who had kind of written on chalkboards, you know, sent statements like the people will never forget. Can you just quickly share with us a bit more about Be Water and its importance to the discourse around protests in Hong Kong? A few friends of mine have shared about it, but maybe for people listening. Well, I think, um, so the term is from Bruce Lee. And he said, be water, my friend. The quote is much longer, um, which all describe that same idea. And the protests in Hong Kong were always remained unnamed. And I think that's a, that's a big part of it, that it's a leaderless movement. And to the end, it still remained that way. Um, and, but I always like to call it the be water revolution. And I think many people would identify with that um, because I think I've never seen or participated before in, a revolution like this in, in the way that it was so flexible that actually over time it managed to adopt people and bring people into it and grow and grow and grow and it never has stopped growing. And despite the kind of arguments that happened within, there was this sense that at the end of the day, it's like we're still in this together. And I found it really remarkable, all the kind of protest tactics and really tactical things and the ways um, that were employed, the way that people adapted to it that you know it was not kind of guided by a dogmatism in a way but also a sense of of a praxis of, of needing to kind of actually rehearse different ways of structuring your society without having to name it first and i think that all of this has to do with wow. um be water for me thank you hera Thank you, Stefan. That was a conversation with uh, Hera Chan, uh, who is an activist, uh, art curator, and a writer, uh, currently based in the Netherlands. Um, really 
big thanks to Hera for taking the time to speak about this week of anniversary for the Tiananmen Square massacre and the various ways that the current national security law in Hong Kong speaks to issues of systemic uh, oppression uh, facing artists and uh, socially engaged uh, communities and activists in Hong Kong today. This has been the 45th edition of uh, the Free City Radio podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph in Montreal. We share a new episode every uh, Tuesday. Uh, thanks for subscribing. If you like what you're hearing, please encourage a friend to do so, to subscribe. Give us a rating also on Apple Podcasts. You can find us, just search Free City Radio. Um, and uh, yeah, pass the word. Uh, if you want to find me online, uh, you can find me through Twitter. My handle is Spirodon, S-P-I-R-O-D-O-N. And uh, I'll be back next Tuesday. I'm going to finish the episode this week with a piece of music by the great Susumu Yokota. I'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you.